Welcome to Piercing the Veil on BBSRadio.com, a show for truth seekers and rebels. Join us every week as we obliterate willful ignorance, corruption, globalist agendas, and more. Tune in every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Pacific, and listen carefully as we provide crucial solutions, information awareness, and unique life hacks to improve our planet. Pierce the veil, and the truth will reveal itself. Greetings, world. This is Piercing the Veil on BBS Radio. This is Corey speaking, uh, and we have our show host, Jordan Michael Askew. Jordan, you there? I'm here, Corey. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear Excellent. you well, man. I can hear you great. All right. It's, it's time for another one of those role reversals. I'm going to let you do the, uh, the show topic here today because it's something that you have way, way more experience on than I do. Um, I can talk a little bit about what I wanted to get into last episode. Uh, which we didn't have time for, which is essentially where I think the origination of art actually comes from, or a, a big process that happens in the um, creation of art, no matter what that might be, whether that's you know a painting or a sculpture, or a book, or you know a novel or a movie, whatever it might be. Oh, pardon me, just that was me who forgot to turn my ringer off on my own show. That's creative art right there. Hey, it's Anyways. all real time. It's real time. Well, for those who have never Go been ahead. here, for those who have never been here, I generally, we like to discuss powerful concepts, techniques, and methods for self-mastery and conscious evolution. And our goal is to spread important knowledge and information that is being perhaps withheld from the general population here on Earth. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, Jordan has been kind enough to sort of give me the lead a little bit. We're going to be talking about art. And from my perspective, I'm an artist. I got a show coming up, so we thought it would be a good idea to, to venture down into that uh, vast and important field uh, in terms of humanity. So a lot to talk about. Do you want to kick off on any uh, current events before we dive in? Yeah, actually, you know, everybody's focused on the Parkland shooting and this new uh, convenient Washington on the other side of West Pacific, uh, Pacific West, or Northwest side of the United States. Uh, that Washington, not D.C. There's a shooting that conveniently happened there that was suspect. Um, I'm just going to keep it real brief, man. I know that's pretty much the only current events that I know of other than that the storm is brewing. Uh, the, the rats are getting extremely desperate. And, you know, it, it is a little alarming to me, Corey, how many people are just snap, hook, line, and seeker following the intended result of what this was. Uh, most, of you, most of you guys know that I'm, I wouldn't call myself a conspiracy buff, but I dig into the truth, the resonant truth of matters, Corey. You know that for me, uh, being, you know, like personally around you, it's just a very blunt approach but it takes in a lot of information from different sources. And what I know about the Las Vegas shooting is that uh, the billionaire Sh uh, Sheldon Adelson, or Sh whatever his name is, Sheldon Nidal, whatever his name is, and uh, Michael Chertoff of OSI, which is a company that makes metal detectors, they stand to profit in the billions of dollars from just that event alone uh, with you know pending and new regulations that are being proposed. 
in that local area. And if you if you go back and actually look at the Sandy Hook shooting supposedly that happened and, you know, all these other things, what you'll find is a disturbing pattern of a very large push for not only gun control, which is seen, that's everybody sees that push, but for metal detectors. And who is the company that's getting the sweetheart deal contracts in the background? Well, it's their companies. So the fact that these guys are money motivated and willing to do these types of things, whether or not anybody actually died in the false flags or if they mix it up like they have been lately where they do a drill and then make it go live on everybody without, you know, only the top people in the top know that it went live. That's a possibility. <laughs> they use uh, psychotically controlled, uh, medically induced and trained and groomed patsies. They, they, they search out these people. So that's my take on the whole Parkland thing. It's just another in a long line of desperate attempts to regain control that these rats are uh, slipping, have, having slipped through their fingers, if they will. And with that being said, if you just want to touch on any other current events that you know of and go right into the show, I'm happy to just follow your lead. Well, yeah, I'll speak on that. And, you know, as far as the school shootings go, um, there's there's obviously patterns there. The main one is that, uh, and I don't know if it's the case in this situation, but supposedly all of these shooters were on psychotropic drugs. They were on, you know, antidepressants and shit. That's a real issue. There's a, there's, you know, there's a, there's a health care issue. Uh, amongst all the other, you know, mental health issue, and you know, most of the, most people, particularly in the West and in America, are fucking crazy anyway. So <laughs> there's no there's no mystery there, right? That, yeah. that we have a, you know, we have a serious health problem in general. We have a serious mental health problem in general, or, or more specifically, uh, that's obvious to me. Um, so there's a pattern with these kids. Um, there's also something that's very disturbing, and this is coming out. Uh, in this particular instance, is that the FBI always knows about these fucking people? They always they always set these up. They set they their always, own informants they, up. Right, and I I would think okay, there's clear examples like uh, the nine uh, the ninety three bombing of the of the World Trade Center in nineteen ninety three. Yeah. That was completely set up by the FBI. It was completely yep. set up by the FBI. So and, is the Oklahoma City, city bombing. Right, and it was supposed to be, right, it was supposed to be fake explosives, and it went live, right? Yeah. Um, un, unbeknownst to their, uh, to their plant, right, the guy who they, you know, put up to try to bait, you know, terrorists or whatever. But, you know, what's basically happening is they don't even need to set this shit up anymore. There's enough fucking crazies out there. Um, pick and choose. They can just cherry pick from the they general can just population. Pick and choose. They can pick and choose, and I think that's what happened in this case, right? Plenty of signs. Plenty of signs on his, on his uh, social media. Plenty of signs, you know, problems at home. Uh, you know, all the typical, you know, most of these kids are probably single mom. They grew up with a single mom, right? Or they have some kind of, you know, some things... Some things, you know, they're in a community where people aren't really, you know, looking out for each other, which is most people, uh, unfortunately. Um, there were clear signs that, I mean, this kid actually posted in social media that he, you know, he pictures of guns and all that other shit. Now, that's not illegal, um, but... But that's a pattern, too, Corey. Right. Right. In exactly. all the false flags, this conveniently exactly. within a six to seven to eight month 
month time range prior. I just wanted to touch on a few things, and then I'll jump it back over to you. You, you sort of sparked this in my in my mind with the psychotropic talk. Somebody has to prescribe those drugs. Somebody has to right. continually and routinely see this person, check their blood levels, do all these different types of things, and there's all sorts of stuff like scolopelamine and all these different types of drugs that can be introduced and many, 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 many people with lots of evidence that shows that uh, medical uh, fields and the journalistic fields have been completely bought out by the CIA participating in MK Ultra, all sorts of crazy shit. We talked last show about people having microchips showing up in their bodies that they had no idea where they came from. Well, where's the only time you get shots? Medical field. Mm. So it's very suspect to me that, yes, we do have a general mental health issue. Yes, we do have a general psychotropic drugs uh, being a precursor to some of these shootings. But I think it's just a convenient uh, trigger, it's something that they're able to use to ensure that everything goes to plan. Yeah, we're going to ensure he's homicidal. We're going to ensure he's right. so fucked right. up he'll follow orders and forget. So it, it is fucked up, but it's there's a deeper connection. And then, you know... If you think about it, everybody's jumping on the gun control bandwagon so predictably every single time this happens, and thank God they failed so far. But even some of my closest friends on Facebook are divided on guns still, and I just I, I can't understand how they can try to get around the logic of taking away guns from people that save lives. It, it just right. I won't even go to it. But here's the thing, and then I'm done. Okay, mm. here's the thing. Think about why it's guns and why it's always in a fucking school. Right. These guys are not just – there is not some guys just like, oh, well, I'm going to go – I feel like shooting a bunch of people, so I'm going to go to school and do it. You know, it's, it's ridiculous to think that people would just continue to go to schools. There's got to be some crazy, white, young, high school-aged patsy guy that goes out and shoots a bunch of people. When, but no, that's reserved for Muslim terrorist false flag attacks. It's, you know, the public gets fucked up with Muslim false flags, and then it's some – The children – yeah, but exactly. the children, Jordan, the children. Think about this, Corey. Why is it guns? Because they've been seeding guns into the entertainment and industry and creative arts um, on purpose because they're loud. They go bang. They make a loud noise. And they've been intentionally making the guns violent scenes look extra bloody to invoke a extra normal or, excuse me, a more extreme response from people no matter what side of the spectrum they're on. Right, so that's all I have to say about movies. it. But I... Yeah, yeah it, it, just look at why it's guns, why it's always got – these guys could so much more easily just drive a car like ISIS uh, – or excuse me, CIA, how they do it. They just fucking drive a car indiscriminately and kill hundreds of thousands of people and don't have to worry about anything about guns. Even in countries that have gun bans, now they're using cars. This just proves our point now, right. besides history. Or knives future. or <laughs> you know, explosive devices or – Throwing acid in people's faces, you know. I mean, it, it it's goes so, on and on. It's problem, reaction, solution, man. There you go. You know, this there you go. It's from from a long way out. Uh, now, people, I think, legitimately, a while back, back in the day when I was growing up, you know, my, you know, my, yeah, you know, I had BB guns and shit like that. And when I when they were discovered, I got into trouble. You know, naturally, I was in a sort of liberal environment, anti-gun environment based on fear and so forth. But I also grew up uh, around relatives out here in Arizona when I would come visit um, uncles of mine, and we'd go out shooting and hunting and shit like that. So there was a responsible, you know, mature use of guns 
And then there was the, you know, then there was sort of the, you know, fear factor on on the other side. Uh, but legitimately, I could say that people had concerns back in the day, and and still do, although it doesn't seem as vocal as it was like in the eighties, uh, for example. People were had legitimate concerns about the amount of violence in the movies, gun violence in the media, in the movies, uh, with the rise of video games and so on and so forth. I think they had, I think most people had good intentions and they had legitimate claims about this, uh, you know, violence sort of being pumped into the youth or pumped into the consciousness. And it goes back to cowboys and Indians, it goes back to gangster movies, it goes back to war movies. Yeah. You know, there's it a just takes a different form. Yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a definite justification for violence, a propagandizing uh, towards, you know, violence. Or desensitizing. So yeah, desensitizing. Yeah, desensitizing. And it's like a peekaboo. It's like it's like sexual <laughs> morality, right? Sexual morality, same type of thing, right? We come uh, generally. It's a Judeo-Christian type of thing, right? Uh, the Puritans, right? The Puritan work ethic, uh, puritanical, you know, uh, uh, English Victorian sort of prudish attitudes towards sexuality and so forth which I think if you go far enough back, there is a legitimate reason for constraints on sexuality, but I won't go into that right now. But, but that did bleed have, into art. It did. And, you know, and then you overlay that, you overlay this sort of uh, prudish um, uh, position around sexuality, and then you overlay that in a culture where sex sells every fucking thing. Sex itself <laughs> is in the advertising you know, pornography business is huge. Sex in the movies, everywhere. So it's this, uh, it's this sort of peekaboo, um, sort of a dualistic uh, clusterfuck that we yeah. see around human sexuality. Same thing with the violence. And now exactly. they want to get, you know, they want to get people. Look, Second Amendment was to prevent people being uh, overrun by tyrannical government. Period. End of story. The founders, whatever uh, whatever you think of them, whatever faults they had, were some of the most brilliant human, being, human beings on the earth at the time. They were well-read. They know history. They were trying to create a new political system that would not make the same mistakes as the old political system. Unfortunately, I think the big, the big, uh, the big wrench in the works was slavery, right? They were trying to keep commerce open, right? can't fuck with people doing commerce and contracts with each other. Well, it just so happens that people were contracting with other human beings. That was the biggest fault of the American experiment, or one of the biggest faults. Banking power, money power, that was the other one. Um, but these guys set this shit up in a way based on viewing all past regimes, including the British Empire, including the Roman Empire, the Greeks, the Egyptians, whatever information was available at hand at the time, these guys, I, it's, it's pretty clear to me, were trying to establish a system that uh, did away as much as possible with the problems of previous regimes. And that, even at that point in time, they clearly saw that, it, you know, tyrants, by the use of force, tend to take over their subjects, tend to rule the people by force. Now, this is 
you know, fast forward two centuries later to the 20th century, where we have countless examples of that, and resulting in the deaths of probably upwards of 200 million people. You got Mao's China, you got Stalinist Russia, or even before that, Pol Pot. Pol Pot. You got Hitler, right? Each one of these, each one of these uh, regimes. The first fucking thing they did was de, uh, was to uh, was to confiscate uh, whatever means was available, guns, and specifically that would allow for the population to defend themselves, right? And immediately after the the population was, uh, I'm, I'm I'm spacing on the word. Uh, that that uh, guns were Dis- taken away from they the were general disarmed. population. They were disarmed, right? So as soon as soon as these populations were disarmed, that's when all hell broke loose. Yeah, and then the that's when free speech have- went away, and creative arts were destroyed, and bur- books were burned, and because nobody could fight back or protest or right. do anything, and, gu- oh. and gulags and work camps and fucking Ugh. all kinds of other fuckery, right? So as soon as the as soon as the people were disarmed, the government's jumped down throat, run by a few people, a few special interests, and 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 and, uh, and otherwise nut jobs, um, causing the death in the 20th century of upwards of 200 million people. Okay, so on the gun control shit, um, stop. As far as I as far as I know, <laughs> legis- the legislation. There are plenty of checks and balances there. Okay, maybe those need to be implemented more. Maybe well, you're right. Ch- There's plenty Corey, of shit there out. to prevent right. people who shouldn't have weapons from getting weapons. But uh, there's plenty of problems. There'll be a problem, be a there'll be a problem if, if if they come for if they come for people's guns. First of all, that's going to be a problem because no one's going to give them up, or very few people are going to give them up if they actually come for. Them. That's why they're using all of this propaganda and all of this. You know, they're trying to work at people's uh, sense of morality, right? And that's another thing that they do. You know, they prey on, they prey on yeah. human nature, the best parts of human nature, to twist it towards their agenda, okay? Nobody likes it. It's a, it's a terrible thing, right? That some kid off his fucking mind can't get his shit together, goes in, and in order to feel empowered or whatever, um, goes and blasts a bunch of his fellow students. That's but those cases, thing. Corey, are really, they're really rare, though. Like, Columbine was like an actual, legitimate, it, psychotropic drugs were involved, but that was like legitimate kids doing what you're talking about. The rest of it is just government patsies, changing narratives. Mother who supposedly lost her kid in the uh, Parkland shooting is like texting and Facebooking on her phone and then does like a live interview and it has a smile on her face. The people that are in the oh, background, yeah. the background actors are like, like supposedly one of the girls is getting comforted by her fake mother and is like cradling her face in the lady's chest and smiling and trying to hold in her laughter from duping everybody. It's called Duper's Delight. And then looking off camera, yeah. oh, is it time to act all right? And then it's just fucking crazy. The changing narrative, multiple shooters, then one shooter, then again, multiple shooters. People who right. said and multiple shooters then fucking disappear Afterwards, it's right. just it's the same crisis, shit over and over. Crisis actors and yes. the mysterious disappearances of people <laughs> who were who were challenging the official agenda. I mean, come on, man! It's just 
um, you know, it's for for a thinking person who uh, see. In order to be a thinking person, you got to question everything, and I can understand that people don't question everything because life is challenging as it is. Like <laughs> most people are kind of like hanging on by a thread on some level, or, or, or at least, you know, challenged from day to day in their existence of providing for themselves and sorting out who they are and what they're here for. That is challenging in and of itself, okay? So it's perfectly understandable to me in some respects why people would not want to stretch their mind and, <laughs> and potentially stress themselves out even more by questioning these narratives that most people just accept verbatim, right? That takes, that takes some extra work. That takes some willpower, you know, to question uh, the belief system around you, to question the nature of reality. Uh, it's difficult. Most people don't want to do it. And so, therefore, that's why I understand why so many people can be so easily swayed by, you know, yes, these tragedies absolutely tragedies but there's lots of fucking tragedies happening all over the world <laughs> all, all at the once. time right yeah. all at once all the time and uh you know this one clearly has the signs of malicious intent on it and they're persistent right they're trying to they're trying to i mean the the vegas thing who is in the audience in vegas mostly conservative people white conservative trump supporters right and somebody went in there and shot a bunch of those people up. To me, that's clearly a ploy to get even the more conservative people to question Everybody's, the gun issue. Yes, yes, and everybody okay. started. There's multiple agendas. Everybody started uh, demanding metal detectors, and now again, literally, one of the mothers who's supposedly screaming at Trump or whatever to change something. We demand change. She's like, we. This is the fakest shit I've ever seen. And you need to, uh, uh, and blah blah blah, and and we need metal detectors in our schools now, President Trump. And it's like, whoa, can you can you guys be any more transparent about what? And then you know, fucking children with signs a day after lined up. You're getting children to do your fucking propaganda for you now, and they're all lined up on the side of the road like, metal detectors in schools now, metal detectors. Right. We need gun control. And it's like Orwellian. It's fucking crazy Corey. i'm literally yeah. seeing and then you've got like all the different fucking storylines the google cache has been the downfall of these dumbasses they just don't care i guess but google cache shows that all these stories and all these major ap and reuters and all these stories are created two days before and then all the GoFundMe right. page are created this is the same pattern that we see in every single one of these supposed shootings there's just too much bullshit helicopters flying on the scene already as soon as the thing goes down full tactical military response people saying there was a fucking dr a shooting drill a live active shooter drill in the area right. uh, okay i'm done i'm you know what, I'm, what was the sorry. one, what was, what was the one I, I forget which one it was where it's come out that like all of the families that were involved had moved into the neighborhood within the past six months. Yes. Yep. Like they were moved in. They were moved in in the past six months. <laughs> right. And then this shit happens to them. Uh, what's the likelihood of that? Crisis. You know, happens. so a lot of shit doesn't add up. 
I don't have all the answers, but I sure got a lot of fucking questions. <laughs> you know? I, I like what you said, Corey. I like what you said about critical thinking because I was going to talk to you about that uh, on when you get started on the topic. Whenever you feel like, yeah, jumping well, let's into talk that. about art, man. Let's talk about art. So critical yeah, I, thinking. Same areas of the brain that are used to appreciate art are the same areas of decision making, critical thinking, emotional. Like there's, it activates and lights up all these in tandem, and so the same process that somebody would go through to think for themselves, to challenge uh, what's presented to them, to pick apart the with different resources what they believe to be true, uh, you know, on a personal scale or with a worldview. It's the same resources that your brain are used, uh, areas that are being used by your brain, I should say. When you're admiring a piece of art, no matter what that is, or even in, you're in the trance state that is watching a movie or reading wow. a book. So wow. I want to know what I want to know what your perspective is on that, and then maybe I have one question for you as an expert on the art realms that I didn't get to ask you last time, and then I'm going to sit back and just let you cue me whenever you need some uh, other stuff. So essentially, cool. my belief is that art of all forms is created out of some sort of remembrance of a past event, a present event, or you're tapping into a future event or a dimension or reality somewhere. So all the fiction and all these different types of books and movies and paintings are inspired somehow by you or another part of you, sort of like we talked about deja vu in past episodes, another part of you doing something or another dimension that has this quality you paint like this starscape, you're actually painting some other dimension that you've been in in some lifetime somewhere or connected to somehow or just resonating, picking up on. I believe that the inspiration for art creation itself is just inherently divine, and I think that's self-evident, but I believe it plays a stronger role in the actual final product than we have been led to believe, and I wanted to see what you thought about that. Just let me jump into it. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say that... Um I would say, in general, the nature of the mind or the human consciousness, um, you know, thoughts come from somewhere. I, yeah, I don't think thoughts are generated in the brain. I think that's pretty much been debunked <laughs> from the materialist uh, perspective. Um, so I, my experience generally and, in, and, and specifically with regards to creativity uh, is that we're all we're all like uh, tuners on a radio. You know, we're all kind of receivers, each individual human being, right? And due to our uniqueness and our individuality, um, we receive information from the all, if you will, from the group consciousness or from, you know, from from uh, existence in itself. I don't know, maybe the Akashic Records or something, right? All of the events of the, all of the past, yeah. present, and yeah. future possibilities that could ever exist. There is a, to me, there's an overarching consciousness that each one of us gets experience in our own sort of individuated state, right? The persona, the individual, the individualized soul, if you will, and in terms of ideas and thoughts and, uh, and creativity, yeah, we're like a receiver. And so each artist is, is receiving certain information and impetus that resonates with them. And then they, for some crazy reason, have this desire 
to produce that thing that comes through them. And in my personal experience, you know, I, I don't, I can't really lay claim to shit that I create, honestly. You know, I actualized it, I realized it, and uh, I made certain choices based on my own aesthetics and, uh, and you know, my own vibration, right? Whereas, you know, a whole bunch of other options I didn't take. I made this thing out of these things, and it came out like this because it came through me. But, um, you know, I, in a lot of times in my, in my uh, art creating, you know, I use a lot of found objects, for example, right? So a lot of times I will find an object and be like, wow, that's awesome. And sometimes I'll know immediately what I'm going to do with it, right? Oh, yeah, that's going to go with that. And then, 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 then bam, I see the huh. finished product, right? Yeah. Sometimes that happens. Other times I just I come across this object. It's compelling to me for some reason. I grab it. I haul it somewhere. It sits around until I get the impulse to engage it and, and you know, add to it or, or, uh, or, or create something with it. Um, but I don't feel, you know, it's unique to me, certainly, because I'm, I'm, I'm unique amongst all the other human beings in existence. But I, I really feel that it comes through me, right? I, I don't really have, I don't really, can't say I have full authorship of this stuff necessarily. You know, I'm just helping it, I'm helping it into reality, Right. I picked up on Ref refining uh, it. Yeah, I picked up on this vibration, this potentiality through my antenna, or me being the antenna, and then I actualized it. You know, just kind of passes through. I think it was there already. That's my sense, and which is which is particularly for me using sound objects. It kind of adds to that point, right? Like. <clears throat> Yeah, this shit was there. It was already kind of formed. I'm just, you know, I'm just bringing it into reality. <laughs> and, I, yeah. that, and that's specifically, consciously, what I like or what I've grown to appreciate about my attraction for found objects. You know, I get to rationalize it a little bit. The cool thing about found objects is that they're already made by someone for a particular purpose, right? They were taken, they were, you know, man's ability to extract things from nature and then form them into something else for some kind of purpose and then you know unfortunately just throw the shit out <laughs> somewhere and then nature acts on it again right as it sits in the ground for you know however many years or whatever and then it takes on this whole new character and for me it's like wow i get to i get to <clears throat> add some kind of um use again, to this object that was designed and fabricated and used for a particular reason and then was tossed out and abandoned and forgotten, transformed uh, by nature in a way. I use a lot of metal, right? So there's a lot of rusty metal and shit like that. Yeah. And, uh, and then it has yet another life. It has something. And so I'm adding to the story of these things that were that came into existence on the earth through a human being's creativity, right? They might not have been an artist per se. They might have been an engineer 
or a product designer or, or, or a manufacturer or something. And, and, uh, and, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting to add to that particular story, you know? Um, so yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely say uh, along the lines of your original point that, um, yeah, art, it's things come, things come through us. I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced by the existence of original ideas. I think the ideas are there. The potential uh, for any concept or any object or any image or uh, endeavor is already there, and it just so happens that certain people are calibrated in a way to pick up on those ideas and bring them into 3D reality. I like I like how you describe that because it really describes how the experience I guess I would say that I have with arting for short or creating art mm -hmm. uh, which is essentially what I do is I just doodle like I will be on the phone doing a cons consultation and I, my hand is just going just automatic writing or whatever you call that and it's just going going to town going to town making shapes making little robot dudes making little whatever and then at the end of the day I look at these things and it's like an all-seeing eye within like a machine pyramid with water surrounding it and some other fucking crazy shit. And I'm like, whoa, what is, okay, what's, what's going on here? What am I being told? And then sometimes I'll go into a state of creating where it's just me drawing this little healing chamber of sound and light and disinfecting silver, colloidal silver spray and, you know, reinventing the shower or all sorts of different technological advancements that are being downloaded through my brain that I'm just drawing out in childlike form on a piece of paper, just chicken scratching it out. But I go to look oh. at these components, and I'm like, I can see how that works. Okay, that goes oh. like that. That's magnetics. This is that. So oh. I, I literally get downloads for machines, bro, and like inventions and things like that that are just oh. scattered across my paperwork somewhere <laughs> in little oh. doodles. Oh. So could you talk about... I mean, and, and it seems to be things that are relevant to me and my life in this time, in this modern age. And I wonder if, like you said, it's calibrated towards people. Talk about, if you will, uh, a little bit how the, the style of art or what is created, the potentiality is filtered or refined according to the means and the methods and the understanding of the day that it's created. So like mm. in the... They would create art about ships and large ships with masts and things like that because in that day, that was what was prevalent in the human consciousness mm. or archetypes. Mm. And mm. now we've got art about you know phone, people dr melting into their phones and the, guy, the artist is trying to tell us that you know, society is obsessed with themselves and their phone and yada, yada, yada. Mm. So mm. can you talk a little bit about that, how it's shifting and evolving and changing? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the interesting thing about, I mean... <clears throat> You know, are ye not gods, right? Jesus said that to his flock. You know, has it not been said, are ye not gods? Like, we are, you know, whatever one thinks about the Judeo-Christian tradition, um, and I don't, think, I don't think a lot of Christians even recognize that, but from the words of the man himself, you know, he, was, he said, you all are like gods. You all are microcosms of the Creator. You are made in the image yeah. of the Creator. Uh, you have these creative abilities, you have these things that are inherent in the creator uh, on a smaller, individuated level. And also, you know, he also said, this, you know, these parlor tricks that I'm doing, like healing the sick and raising the dead, is nothing compared to what you all are capable of. 
and what you're likely to be able to do in the future, right? So like clearly, the Jesus I know, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Who talks about that? Nobody, because they don't talk no about one. what he said. Except they for us, we just... Right, they talk about what Paul says or somebody else after. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. But like, no, you you actually you hit the nail on the head. I just want to say this, Corey. He was a powerful individual who was scapegoated by the Roman uh, powers of the day, who wanted to create a religion around him, make him a divinity when he was just all, we're all divine, and that's what he was saying, and then use him. But it fucking backfired for those who actually study what the true tra- text translations and what he was really saying. Like you just mentioned, it's all about self empowerment. So. Good job. Yeah, I mean that, that was a, yeah that that was the that was the Pharisees right that was the bankers and the Sadducees and the lawyer Jews that got together with the 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 military junta which was the Romans and they yep. were like this guy is going to be a fucking problem for us. <laughs> right? So let's just quit. And let's then, take what we have on hand, amalgamate a bunch of pagan religion and things like that together to fill in the gaps, make him the son of God, and then woohoo! Let's fucking go from there. <laughs> Right. I mean, the underground movement was so strong they had to co-opt it and water it down and take it over. Right. That's right. So, um, so in terms of in terms of individual, in in terms of uh, art through the ages, if you will, it's funny because that was like the that was the name of the classic uh, college art history textbook. You know. <laughs> Now I, I learn a lot. I I know a few things about history. You know, I'm I'm curious about history, and I would have to say that uh, a lot of that came through my studies of art history. You know, I I discovered that when I was studying art history in school, um, I was you know the art was cool, but I was being more turned on by just the history of all the stuff that was going on. Uh, in certain periods of time, which gave rise to certain artistic endeavors and so forth. So I came, I came to my understanding and appreciation of history in general through my study of art history. And hmm. um, you know, even okay, what was like the first? You know, what's some of the oldest art? Right, cave paintings or something, right? Or uh, you know, some kind of uh, you know rock carvings or something like that and and all the way up through to the present day um the one thing that seems to me to remain consistent was that it was clearly people trying to uh express their understanding of reality right whether it was that's right whether it's whether it's uh Right, cave drawings, you know, okay, we're hunting, and then this happened, and we, you know, we had, a, we had this really cool hunt, and it was successful, and I want to represent it because it was so cool that maybe, you know, maybe someone else will see my story, you know, or, you know, people, uh, uh, religion, you know, religion and, and spiritually related things like, you know, masks and idols and, you know, paintings of the, of the, of the nativity and, you know, all of these things. People are expressing, they're trying to express, uh, a story. They're trying to express their experience somehow. Uh, they're, they're looking to, like um, a search for truth. 
yeah, to work things out in their mind somehow. And what's the, just like you, when you doodle shit, right? Oh, shit, something come into my head, right? <laughs> Got this idea for fucking, you know, for the next uh, human, human benefiting uh, machine. And uh, so, bam, it's coming through. So you start scribbling it down. You know, you get little bits, you get little downloads, bits of information and so forth, and you, and you capture it. And then once you capture it on paper in the 3D realm, uh, that's the you know that's the first step of of actualization in the 3D realm. Now it's like okay, now I can pull these things together, right? Uh, yep. I I snatched a bunch of this download before I forgot it, right? And now I can actually you know I can actually push through and and work on something and and create something. So I I think art is indicative of our of our uh, kind of dual natures as material and, and mental being. I think art is the perfect manifestation of that. I like how you said that because it you know, again with the duality there's always a consciousness acting as an intermediary of the experience of duality so there's really the triune so to see just like in electricity, you can see the charge going pop, 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 back and forth, popping, appearing, disappearing, appearing, disappearing on each side of physical reality and non-physical reality, like a higher order physics. It's almost as if the inspiration, the potentiality, the raw art itself, the raw creation comes through, filtered by the consciousness, you know, which, and then calibrated and then expressed. And then that person looks at the expression, how it came out in 3D physical reality, and then that reflects back into their creative zones to where they can then modify it, change it, act on it, like you said, or start building or putting it together. And so then that goes back out into the universe, and then it comes back through, and it's just like this natural reflection of the natural cycles that we see in almost every domain. So I, I really dig it, man. I think that's a great explanation, and, and um, it's, just, yeah, it's just awesome. So please continue. Yeah, man. I, I completely agree. And, you know, if you go... You know, if you if you go into back into Egypt and even the Greeks and the Romans, um, particularly the Egyptians, you know that was storytelling, that was record keeping. Okay, so yeah. the the temple the temple narratives, if you will, uh, were created by people who who had a certain consciousness, right? I mean, they built the damn pyramids, so. They knew that whatever they recorded was going to last out into the future mm. and be and be picked up by people and analyzed or 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 at least attempted to to uh, be deciphered by people in the future, right? Um, and then so likewise, uh, it, it seemed it seemed like uh, further back. In history, it was more sort of conceptual in a way, or narrative, right? Specifically, like narrative. Um, you know, clearly the Egyptians were not portraying people uh, and animals and objects uh, with any vision, with any real accuracy, based on how the eye sees them, right? It was very stylized and figured, you know. And uh, I, that, that's the case in uh, in a lot of different places. We don't get this. We don't get this sort of um, you know uh, represent nature 
represent people and animals and things exactly as, as we see them, that didn't start coming until later. Right? And the Greeks and the yeah, Romans. Yeah, that's, that's true. And then later in Europe, you know, particularly with painting, you know, there was, you know, it was, it, it then shifted into a similar, similar way of exploring one's experience in life, but really more directed towards, like, and in, in, in definitely in terms of painting, um, like the visual, uh, the visual perspective, how we yeah. see, what we see. Um, how does, what's the nature of light and how it plays on certain surfaces, you know? So there was a, there was a lot of exploration into, uh, as accurately as possible representing physical reality. Impressionism and the small group of French painters who grew that as popular, they were trying to recreate, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but... They were trying to accurately as possible recreate the the way that light played with the environment, and they wanted to capture movement as well in the right. stillness of the painting. So I think that's right. just it's just fucking amazing the different types of creativity that's coming out here. Right, and they and and those folks that was like later that was the eighteen hundreds. They were moving away from a long tradition, which probably goes back mm, into. <clears throat> into the Renaissance or pre-Renaissance, maybe in the late Middle Ages, where that, you know, where uh, the focus was Por- on... The, portraits, on, sort of, right? Right. The focus was on representing as accurately as possible uh, the visual references of, of, of reality. And there was a people would face it. There. They would face it, it, the perspective is would people would face the person painting, and it would be like just portrait like, you know, scenes right. and stuff like that. Okay. Right. Uh, and now that's from that's from a Europe perspective. You know, other places on the planet um, was still, I think, a little more uh, abstracted. You know, there are some there are some exceptions probably in Africa, like with the Benin in, on the, on the West coast, Nigeria, where, um, there's a lot of, um, very accurately portrayed, you know, masks and faces and things, not so stylized, not so abstracted, but I think generally that, that period, and it kind of goes along with, I think the sort of Western materialist scientific mind, right? They were, they were just, you know, there was that long stretch from like the late uh, Middle Ages up into the Renaissance, past the Renaissance, Baroque period. Um, you know, you had your, you know, your realists, you had your social realists, right? That portraiture, that landscape and yeah. portraiture, which visually represent reality the way we see it. Um, it wasn't until a little bit later in Europe where, like you said, you, the perfect example was the Impressionists, you know, where they began to explore um, that there seemed to be this understanding that, well, what we're seeing isn't really what we're seeing necessarily. There's stuff going on. There's light bouncing around, you know, and colors. Colors are colors that aren't actually what they appear to be, right? So Mm. they started playing with color. And then eventually later on, you know, you had the futurists who started trying to, you know, represent motion 
in a different way. You know, compressing, you know, compressing a, you know, like a nude descending the scare, uh, staircase. And uh, I think that was Brock, you know, and he was showing, he wasn't just capturing a single moment, he was trying to capture uh, a period of time of someone walking, the mechanics of someone walking down a flight of stairs. That's right? amazing. In one single still frame of time, they're able right. to evoke that understanding in the person who sees it hundreds of years later. Right. That's crazy. Right. And a lot of, you know, a lot of that, um, a lot of that shift in, I think, in, in, in the European uh, representation, uh, in painting in particular, although certainly in sculpture, was that, uh, you know, through colonialism, uh, there was interactions with other cultures and how other, and then the, how other cultures represented their reality or their, or their deities or their, or, or other human beings and animals. And, um, and then, you know, fast forward a little bit into the earliest 20th century where, you know, where all the while we had this technological advancement, um, there was lots of exploration going on, right? Egypt, Africa, um, you know, from the, naturally from the colonialism, uh, there was a lot of study of different parts of the world and the cultures and their artifacts and their outputs. And then slowly but surely, through uh, improvements in media, um, people started to become more aware of these uh, of other cultures' ways of looking at things. And, it, and, and clearly it can be stated that some of the early modernists, like Picasso and Brock yeah. and Brancusi, and these guys like that, they, they benefited from little, those finds. Sure, they were taking a lot of influence from the information that was available as to the visual representations of that other cultures that produced. Right? Hmm. So that's where you that's where you see the early particularly the early modernist painters, <clears throat> you know, and it was sort of like a, it was it was kind of a way I, I, I think the general sense is that modern society, Western society, was uh, as beneficial as it was, has had a lot of problems. And so I think that change in representation and artistic representation of the world, um, either consciously or unconsciously, probably both in varying degrees, was uh, a, a reassessment of the sort of classical Western thought and classical West and thereby classical Western representation in art, you know, and, um, and so did that, that lasted for a few hundred years again. And then we sort of had another shift, I guess. Right. Well, you had the modernists in the early, in the early 20th century. Right. And, you also had a lot of, you know, as I referred to earlier, the 20th century was really fucking problematic. <laughs> uh, you know, World War One. I, I think World War One really fucked people's heads up, and there was a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's not like that came from nowhere. All throughout, you know, human beings have been uh, warring with each other forever, but 
course. It was World War One that showed really the the huge the hugely destructive capability of human beings with their newly developed technology. Really, for the first time, and, and that, hence that's why it was called a World War, right? Lots mm-hmm. of parties involved, and the Great uh, War, just the Great War, the war to end all wars. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> but there were naturally, you know. Um, it seems to me that when empires are approaching their zenith or their peak or starting to, you know, or have peaked, and uh, they start to fall off quite naturally. And people then start questioning the nature of authority, the nature of everything, how we think, how we've been inculcated by our culture with what, uh, with what um, cultural norms with, uh, you know, moral norms, artistic norms. And so a lot of that, it's quite natural that a lot of that changed, you know, late 1800s and early 1900s, along with all the stuff that was happening in in other areas of endeavor in the world, economics, industry, culture. Uh, So it's quite natural that, that the art reflected that. And Corey, I wanted to I want to ask real quick. You brought up the Great War and World War One, and that leads me to World War Two because now we're, we're progressing into the 1900s time period and stuff ah, like that. To make what the about world safe for democracy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, if they're selling democracy, I don't want. And I'm not buying. I don't want any of it. it but um, it think about it all the. We talk about how art influences people. How the public viewing of art. How the public display the displaying of it the act of displaying it in galleries and so on and so forth i mean that is a whole art form of itself and appreciation with its different nuances but if you take the inverse position think about all the art that nobody's ever gotten to see that either the artists themselves didn't think would be good and just hid away for 500 years until it was discovered by some private collector who now keeps it and <laughs> nobody will ever see this it's right. so valuable you know or, you know, going back to the war, think about all the art that was either destroyed and or secret, secreted looted. away, looted, looted by, by the, Nazis. the Nazis, and then right. looted by the people who discovered the Nazi trains full of gold who were working for the Rothschilds who took that gold and so on and so forth. Sure. That's a rabbit hole, but it is what it is. Sure. So, sure. so my question to you is this. How, how can we even begin to put a label on, since that time period, on, I, I should say, how can we even like base our knowledge as as if it's the end all be all of you know we know postmodernism we know this we know that you know we see this art from this time period blah blah blah, but what about all the stuff from that 30s 40s 50s 60s and so on and so forth and up until Bob Ross did his fucking huge innovations and stuff like that, what are we missing like how much more could we have learned if we if that had not been taken and secreted away. Mm. Well, <clears throat> just to think about how much is secret in the realm of art, not just any other part of life. Well, I think generally, to, to your point, I think most of the art that's ever been created on the planet was created by people who were not really intending to create art, but they were they were just creating their, they were just influencing their environment around them, you know, like they were making, 
uh, mm. bowls and eating utensils, you know, useful shit, <laughs> right? To carry water around and food and, 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 and things like that. You know, and this, this gets me into, uh, uh, I, you know, I, I grew up, I grew up as a kid in New York City. Uh, I lived in New Jersey and my father moved to the city. He worked in the city. He moved to the city in 76. So I was about nine years old. And he moved to southern Manhattan, Tribeca, which is now a super fancy neighborhood. It was just fucking landfill when he moved there. Um, and I used to, you know, I used to come into town. Sometimes I had my bike or whatever, take the bus over from New Jersey. And, uh, you know, bam, my dad, I'd be out. He'd be like, be back for dinner. And then, so nine years old, I'm going up to Soho, which was the art capital of the world at the time. And uh, I'm just going to galleries, man, and I'm, I'm just absorbing all of this work. Now, granted, my mother was an <laughs> artist. Her mother was an artist. Uh, in your blood. My mother's great-grandfather, uh, which I found out not too long ago, was an architect. Uh, my father was a musician. You know, he did. He, 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 he kind of gave up... Uh, as being a professional musician fairly early on, but he was a very talented musician in his own right. So, you know, this natural inclination towards the arts, for me, was definitely there. But uh, I also pushed it, you know. So from, from a period of time where, you know, from when I was 9 to when I was 13, you know, every weekend I was in the city, like, and, and summers and, you know, holidays, school breaks, I was going, I was going to art galleries. You know, so uh, that was a huge part of my education and my understanding and my appreciation. And um, I think that uh, I think the uh, and then to try to reduce it down and not to get too technical or whatever, we then moved into the period of postmodernism. And there's definitely postmodernism. There's very specifics about the postmodernism movement in art itself. But I'm speaking to the postmodernism uh, in general. Okay? It's Which very much t tied to survivalism in my. Right. I think it came out of uh, the disenfranchisement with the modern age. Right? We spoke to those, chain, you know, the, the world wars and the. And the and the uh, wealth disparities and uh, industrialization and uh, alienation, uh, you know, urban alienation and, you know, losing touch with it, it, nature and so forth. All of these things that were kind of themes in the early, in the, in the industrial age, early 20th century. We saw how that reflected on art. Um, we saw the world wars. We saw, you know, um, we saw the... Um, the civil rights movement, right? The hippie movements, the, the freedom movements, you know, yet more discontent about how society is operating. And uh, it seems like there's a sort of this movement to unravel the uh, existing power structure, right? Well, now we have memes. <laughs> right. <laughs> and right. that, like, exactly. that right... It, so how you describe this is what I love about this. Well, first, first of all, I wanted to say this because you're the way that we're going through the history and you're leading me there is like bringing me to this. 
it, again, now we're in the cycle because you had the caveman painting about utilitarian things and making and creating art of utilitarian structure because survival was at the fore and foremost of their daily lives. And then you have the Renaissance period where people were fairly well-to-do and well-off and access to wealth wasn't as shut down as it is now. And there weren't wars and all that. You know, There's land conflicts here and there. But there wasn't crazy stuff happening typically in that those regions during that time period. And thus the art reflected that. It showed or tried to reflect more of the beauty, the presence of life, and so on and so forth. Whereas then again, once we got back into the world wars and the Cold War in the 1950s, things become very became very survival-based again. And then the jaded part of the population from that collective consciousness are just like, oh, God, here we go again. I thought we got past this. You know, what, what the fuck? That is sort of what you were describing in those movements. And then now today we still have that in like an exacerbated form in the form of memes and political dissidents, uh, things like that. So uh, I just right. find it crazy how it's just cycled back and forth, and hopefully now we can come back into a positive uptrend cycle of representing beauty through art and creation and knowledge and the spread of uh, happiness and health and wellness to everybody through, you know, even if it has to be through memes at first to wake people up. I see that's where we're going. So it, can we jump into that and once you're done wrapping uh, your progression up? Can we maybe talk a little bit about memes before the show's over? Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, during the Renaissance period, you know, art, art that we see from history, most of history, was actually the elites that were creating it. <laughs> yeah. All right? And, um, and, and most of it, wasn't even for the consumption of, of the regular people. Like, okay, Roman, Greek and Roman statues and things like that. Yes, that was created by the elites, but to make an impression and otherwise for the benefit of the public at large, right? When you start getting into, um, when you start, well, then, then there's also you know, like church iconography, right, from the Middle Ages, you know? That was as well art oh, yeah. that was cre that was created for public consumption, uh, and an amalgamation very... of paganism, Corey. Because you know the right. um, that those windows are a pagan tradition to create the stained glass windows and telling stories and stuff like that. Yeah, they actually admit that. Yeah, most people couldn't fucking read back then, so they you know they created the. <laughs> The, the the you know art was used to tell people stories about how they need to comport themselves or else they're going to go to hell you know so give us your tithes and do what we say give us your money and do what we say or and else, appreciate you know, this and, art yeah yes and it was also illuminating <laughs> stories that were in written form that no one had access to anyway and they, and even if they did have access to it they couldn't fucking read it so, there you go um. You know, and then fast forward a little bit into the Renaissance period and then, uh, you know, the uh, neoclassical period. Again, most of this art that we see in these institutions, um, it was made by the elites for the elites. <clears throat> and that started to change. And, uh, okay, maybe a, a caveat, a nod towards democracy. That started to change a little bit. Um, when art became more available and became more uh, uh, more more of like a groundswell, art started coming more from 
Muslim people, right? Yeah, they started participating from the ground and the root up. Exactly, exactly. And that was a very, I think that was a very cool time, you know, the modernist period, and for a lot of reasons. You know, they they were reacting to things that were problematic, but they were also looking for solutions and uh, people, you know, you had, you know, people were generally healthier, better hygiene, better education, right, <clears throat> better food. Uh, so it, it, it naturally showed uh, the inclination of people under those circumstances to uh, create uh, more of their own institutions. It kind of goes backwards again, right, because the art world, it's like a monolith now, really, right? It is the elite mostly, uh, that have been controlling the art industry since uh, particularly like the 70s, 60s, 70s. You know, that's when, you know, that's when you had the mega galleries and now these huge modern art institutions that are popping up all over the place. And uh, it's become kind of a monolithic thing. But again... With the advent of the internet, you again had this further democratization or pluralization of art and what art is. A lot more access that people have and so on and so forth. So it's shifted again, right? It's decentralizing in a way. It's still there, right? The big established institutions are still there. Um, but they're realizing that they have to, you know, they, they, that it benefits them uh, to take advantage of uh, this huge access to information that people have and this sort of uh, yeah. uh, groundswell. You know, so they, these big institutions, in order to maintain themselves, they have to adjust themselves as well. Yeah, now, they're always, exactly. I look at it like this, Corey. It's like in one area, like you described, the elites have been governing the, you know, the control of what should be art and how it's made and who's making it, and then it comes back to the people and then they have to readjust again. And then you look at these other domains in life, just like with the internet. You know, the internet started out as a bastion of freedom, and it started getting shitty. You know, with the control, and then it's free again with the decentralization and tour and mm-hmm. mesh, net, mesh networks. And I, it's like they're plugging holes. Like they plug hole one hole, and then another comes up, and they're running out of things to plug the hole. <laughs> That's how I see yeah, no, they institutions. Yeah, they, they're yeah, they're just they're. Uh, you know, the big, the big cabal, if, if they're... If ankle there's, biters. There's, <laughs> the ankle, ankle biters. Um, you know, <laughs> they don't have as much power as we think they do, or as we thought they did. They're really just adapting and adjusting to what humanity does. You know, that's, that's the way I see it. And it's getting it's more and more difficult. Somebody, yeah, somebody fucked up by letting the internet go public. <laughs> Dick Cheney, Dick Cheney really has supposedly said it was like the worst decision he ever made to uh, <laughs> move to, to, to do whatever moves he was responsible for for allowing the internet, which was a defense, you know, it was a military platform, uh, to allow that to go public. Because now it's out of control. The cat's out of the bag. It's Pandora's box. And so, um, likewise... One thing I wanted to say um, specifically about art, and it kind of ties into how most people throughout the world, uh, throughout history, their art was more practical, right? Um, 
their creativity was 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 um, resulted in things that they used in their lives every day, right? Whether it was uh, spiritual related stuff or religious stuff or just practical household items, a bowl um, of fruit. Yeah, I mean, you know, bowls and utensils and, you know, decorating things to make life more pleasant. Um, you know, just general, general creativity in, in, in your realm. And, uh, I am, I suspect, uh, I'm seeing a lot more of that generally. It's becoming decentralized. It's becoming, it's becoming deinstitutionalized to a certain degree where you know, uh, you know what is art is is uh, is no longer a, a centralized understanding or process, which is right on time too. Because along the lines of the the postmodernist thread, uh, you know, basically there there seems to be this uh, movement afoot to that everything that was ever created by a white man is evil, and that. <laughs> <laughs> and that, and that, uh, it seems that there are people, white people included, which I can't figure out, that are hell bent on destroying all of this shit that they have benefited from and continue to benefit from, and uh, and you see that a lot in the art world as well. There's there are there's a lot of agenda, just like there always has been. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, art and propaganda. The Nazis used it. The Stalinists used it. The Maoists used it. The Catholic, the Catholic Church used it. Okay, that the power of image and symbology and narrative and storytelling. You know, art has always been propagandized in the hands of the elites, and uh, that's no different today. Um, but I just see, uh, you know, like I said, I grew up, I grew up seeing firsthand the art from people who were making it in the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. And um, so I, I, you know, I generally have a sense of what good art is. And it looks a lot of different ways. And over time, certainly the rules around what is good art changes. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of shit. There's a lot of shit <laughs> art out there, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, Dallas Museum of Art. <coughs> There's a lot of shit art out there. And it's, time and, offenders. And, and a lot of it is, uh, it's not just in the execution. It's just, it's, it's um, a lot of art reflects the cynicism of the age, the, the nihilism of the age, of this kind of postmodernist thought that everything that was, everything that had value, um, 30, 40, 50, 150, you know, 1,500 years ago, at least in terms of, of you know, Western culture, uh, it's, it's, it's beyond being questioned. Uh, I think it's being intentionally destroyed oh. by, once again, uh, uh, a very small number of elites who have certain designs on, on the culture and how people think and That's how right. people live and how they process information or not, how they create what they're creating, more specifically, what they consume. Yeah, um, you're, they're really killing it.
from the all levels on because if you don't have healthy DNA and a healthy diet, how are you going to create to the highest potentiality that you would have? You're, You're not. not. And then, and then if you have to fight for survival every single day in some soul killing job, how are you going to create? Again, you can't do that. So I really think that the survivalism tied into the uh, ability to create. Is something uh-huh. this duality that needs to be broken first, and that's something that right. I'm trying to do in my life in starting this blockchain nation is to remove the need for basic survival. Once that shit is out of the way, free forever, like no communist style bullshit. People can work if they want to, they can produce if they want to, they can create. Those creations will be valuable. There'll be a certain set of rules based on some sort of tribal governance with the land. We talked about this. But what's going to happen? Like, what what are your expectations once that survival aspect is removed completely? I mean, it looks like the possibilities would be endless at, at that point. Do you agree? Well, yeah, and along the lines of the sort of decentralization of what art is, right? It's something that either hangs on the wall of uh, of some high establishment, right, or hangs on your wall in your house as a, as a piece of decoration. Um, I think there's, I, I think there are natural limitations to those types of, um, the, the presentation of art in that kind of way. And what I'm looking to do in my life and what I see happening more and more, and I think is going to be more and more necessary, uh, for survival is that people uh, people are going to have to live more artful lives. You know, they're going to have to be, you know, it, it's like, um, you know, and, and this goes to, I, I'm almost having difficulty recently making distinctions between art and design. You know, because exactly. I look at, I look at the things that men have made that have utilitarian purposes over thousands and thousands of years, and I look at how beautifully they're crafted, right? Uh, you know, weapons, machines, labor-saving devices, computers, even computers. Look at how, you know, the design of these things uh, is artful. And so I think um, I think for me, you know, I, I, I in my use of found objects, lots of machine parts and things, right? Yeah, things that used to be, uh, you know, something to car, do something with car parts and the industry, industrial things. Well, at the same time, it's also stimulating, like you know, like you were saying, you know, your 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 machine downloads, you know, your beneficial machine downloads. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm finding myself drawn more towards like the engineering side of things, right? How can I use my creative abilities to make shit to do some function that uh, that has some utility, some beneficial utility? Um, and and can solve certain problems that we're having, you know. Like I'm, I want my fucking flying machine, man. I want my <laughs> flying car. Where's my fucking flying car? I watched nice. the Jetsons when I was a kid. You That's know? right. And so well, our our technology has been retarded so much that again we're going to have to get 
people out of the survival mode so they can start tapping into these types of things right. and we can just full on just maybe somebody creates a machine that you know a piece of art that flaps or something when the wind blows but it sparks a, a, an idea in some five-year-old's mind to build a fucking right. flying machine and then 10 years later wazam now we've got a patent that's filed by a 16 year old genius who fucking was yeah. inspired by your art you know there's right. all sorts of possibilities that could happen you know that's a key word you said inspired you know what it's designed to do utility and, and inspiration right and art has always <clears throat> always been inspiring up until it became cynical and yeah. then it became and then it became along the lines of you know mostly western culture where it became cynical and then it became destructive so it's like in implosion mode and that's why that's why mm. <clears throat> That's why, uh, you know, I, and I understand, I understand conceptual art, I understand, you know, um, performance art, I understand all of these different um, manifestations, right? I remember, I remember a period of time where it was like, uh, you know, all of this neo, you know, neo this, neo minimalism, <laughs> neo futurism, neo impressionism, right? So, and I recognized it pretty early on. It's like, wow, we must be reaching, we must be reaching a pinnacle in civilization because we're just rehashing old shit right now. That's right. And it was kind of astounding to me. I recognized that fairly early, and I was like, ooh, you know, from from my experience in 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 uh, in viewing the movements in art, it's like, wow, we're we're cannibalizing ourselves. And I, and I just knew inherently that wasn't a very good sign. I think and, uh, Hollywood is the is the media representation of this cycle that you're describing in the art scene generally, and it's just in, it, we, you get it, you get this conceptualized stuff, you get the performance. It's just been infested, right? Yeah, yeah. I think um, I, I I think art should be beautiful. Art should be inspiring. Um, I appreciate people who use art as a protest to express their discontent, to express their anger, their frustration, to express even the ugliness that they feel inside of them, right? There's, you know, that is certainly available to people who make art, and there's a lot of that. Uh, there's a lot of that art out there. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, some might say it's nostalgic or some bullshit like that, but I, I think uh, I think art should be beautiful in some form or another. Even if it makes yeah, you think... I agree. Even if it makes you think in a certain way or reflect or, or have sensations that you haven't had before and, uh, and, and that, that allows people to shift somehow. You know, there's beauty in that. Um, you know, so I don't want to, I don't want to be hypercritical of, of the whole, uh, state of art as it is today. Um, I just don't, I just don't find a lot of stuff compelling. And, and I think that's just me at my age. I only care about what comes through me. 
that's really what I'm only interested in. I'm into owning who I am through my practice, you know. And uh, that's pretty new, too, because I have to say, as much as I have been exposed to art over, you know, throughout my entire life, um, you know, I got caught up in life, right? <laughs> Making a living. The survival, now, man. So I'm telling yeah. you, it keeps coming back to that. It's yeah. like everything you know, now comes I've, back to yeah, I've been a designer, I've been a builder, okay, so I'm using those artistic sensibilities to create stuff, right? To make and things. hopefully and hopefully it's beautiful. And uh, you know, but I, I honestly you know, I mentioned that I'm having this show actually next Saturday. And um I intentionally um I intentionally made the move on it knowing that I didn't really have as much time as I would have liked to have to put it together. You know, when I pulled the trigger on the thing and I got approval from the venue, um, that was like two months ago. Okay? So the ability for me to make a bunch of stuff and to market the stuff and to, you know, to tool up and, uh, you know, I, I, if I were to do it again, I, uh, and the next time I do do it, I'll give myself more time. But because I felt like I had been away from the process of actually making art for myself, right? I was making artful things for other people on a contract basis. But I wasn't making, I wasn't tapping into, I wasn't tapping into my own download, right? And having my, having stuff come through me that I could at least, you know, have some kind of authorship or influence over that was unique to my experience. And so I, by, by setting up this show, I forced myself to get back into being an artist. And I have to tell you that if I had like two months to get this shit done, I spent the first month trying to adapt. <laughs> you know, trying to get used to, oh, wait, I don't have to get up and go and work for somebody else. No, because you set it up so that you were going to only do your shit. Oh, okay. You mean, you mean I get to do my own shit now? Oh, oh, geez. I don't know about this. This is, this is <laughs> I don't strange. Know. What do I, I do? <laughs> yeah, so literally it took me, you know, and, and then just, just the idea of it and, and how I and how I've been living to make that shift. Then there was the actual physical process of making stuff. You know, and I it felt a little cantankerous, to be honest with you. Yeah. Right? Now I've been you know, I've been collecting things and I've been, you know, making sketches and ideas. You know, the the, the ideas always come through, right? The downloads always happen. But the next step of actually putting that virtual information, the downloads, that sort of creative impulse and the ideas that come with it, and then actually, bam, putting it into effect in 3D reality, you know, uh, I, I honestly have to say that it was somewhat challenging. So <clears throat> this particular show was me forcing myself back into it. And... Uh, Really, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of just just the beginning. I think a lot of good stuff is going to come from it. I've got so much bottled up 
in me <laughs> and so and so much stuff that's ready to ready to come out and manifest. Uh, so well, hell, it's like, well, hell, Corey, why put your toe in the water if you're just going to jump in anyways? You know what I mean? No, no, just I'm, fucking jump I'm in. I'm going right? in full. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going in full. Like I, I expect, you know, I expect to get, I expect to get invited to participate in other things off of this. Good thing. man. Good. Yeah, absolutely. You absolutely. can change the way it's being, the the techniques and the mannerisms and the display and all these things. You can influence by just creating your own. Well, I would say like network of artists who are willing to display in a different way. Like you could just have a whole outdoor display or under a fucking right. tent or water, whatever the fucking case may be. So I see, right. I, I do see you making some huge connections off of this and whatever else you've got going on in the future. It just, it's inevitable. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because the venue uh, <clears throat> has an outdoor sculpture garden. There hasn't been any sculpture in there in 10 years. Right. And so I'm going to leave most of it there for a while, and, you know. And then, and then also because it's an art and design show, the, my partner, the guy who I'm doing doing it with, you know, we make we make uh, we make art, and then we make functional art like furniture mm. and lighting and and you know things that are useful. And so um, it's it's uh, the venue is an old house. Uh, and actually, we're, uh, we're looking to, there's one room, which is a living room, it's kind of a meeting room, like an event room and stuff like that. Actually, in full disclosure, it was my grandparents' house, okay? And my mother now is there, and she's created, or, uh, or was involved in creating this arts organization. I had to go through a board to get approval, right? So, no nepotism. Mm. <laughs> right so um but you know i'm i'm on top of me being able to uh you know push through and kickstart myself on the art making i'm also doing it in uh you know we're actually going to be uh creating a, a living space right we're moving some of the old furniture out temporarily and redesigning the space um as well as filling up, you know, other uh, parts of the property and stuff. But also, it's kind of, it's my, you know, it's my family legacy kind of, too. So there's a there's an extra, there's an added impetus uh, to the whole thing for me to show up well. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and you know, and, and I would just, you know, I would, I would say to anyone listening, Right, I I have a very unique background, and you know I've, for better, you know, consciously or otherwise, you know, and how I came up, you know, I was immersed in art, and I stepped away for away from it for a while, and um, I would definitely say to anyone who um, aspires to be an artist or has some creative ability. Um, I would say it's probably one of the most important things that we can do as a human being, right? Because there's a, to me, there's a real spiritual component to it. It doesn't really matter what you make, right? You can draw a picture of a puppy, right? If it makes you feel good, great. Everybody loves puppies, right? <laughs> um, 
But there's something about that using that creative faculty, right, from the inside out, right, or being able to draw on some, you know, universal consciousness or awareness, and then to be able to, you know, be a vehicle for that, um, I think is a hugely profound experience. And uh, I would recommend to anyone who's even even somewhat inclined to uh, to go in. And don't be, and don't worry about the outcome. Don't worry about the results. Don't worry about what people are going to say, whether it's good or not, or whatever. You know, I found for myself, it's a great vehicle for self-exploration. You know, I've learned a lot about myself uh, through this process of making stuff. And Honestly, so I man, I think it could save the world. I really do. Yeah. The, the, with the, like I said, with the memes, the memes are so fucking powerful, man. You mentioned how in the stillness of a painting or still painting, somebody was attempting, was it something on the stairs? The nude descending the staircase. Thank you. Nude descending the staircase where he was trying to represent a, an entire time period in one single shot. And there's like this whole concept and wealth of ideas and shame along with it it's for you not knowing this in the first place and everything that's just included into the meme to actually not only inspire the person to consider or critically think about what's being shown to them but also it like triggers them <laughs> emotionally for however yeah. anybody wants to look at that into going okay maybe i should make these types of things a priority in my life to know about because somebody keeps memeing the shit out of it uh, to me and it's it's affecting me so just by looking at a meme it really has it's like a supercharged piece of art to me, really. Um, mm. I think that it, we're seeing this, like you said, condensation or condensing, if you will, of information into still form. And of course, part of that has to do with the cameras and the internet and all this different stuff. But it really is the natural progression of a cycle towards freedom to be able to convey so much information in still form, and then it's all just going to bust out like in, in back into real life, like we talked about it reflecting back and forth. So I'm glad that you're shifting on your journey. I'm really glad that you had the opportunity to express everything to me and to our listeners uh, of what you're doing because I really had no idea um, of the the knowledge base that you possessed about art. I knew that you were into it and things like that. So thank you for for expounding on it. Uh, it's it's really nice to see the perspective. Yeah, well, thank you for for uh, for suggesting it actually. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to document the process a little bit, certainly the, the results. And, uh, you know, hopefully I can, uh, I, I can sh share some of that information for those who are not there to experience the thing, but to, uh, you know, put it out there, maybe put some video of the, put video of the event or put some kind of uh, something together, right? Add it to my... Add it to my resume. Yeah. Add it to add it to the website. You know, add it to the informational flow. Um, should you should definitely do that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's um, I think it's about necessity at this point. I think people, I think the tendency of people to get so outside themselves with the memes and with all the media stuff and the political stuff and all, you know, all the, all, all the back and forth and the, and, um, 
you know, it's like a form of meditation, if you will. And there's something, I think there's something profound and blessed. And this, I think this is why artists have been held in such high esteem for the, for the most part for such a long time, too. Right? Mm. Because there's a, whether or not you're an artist, I think most people, there's an inherent recognition, even if they haven't experienced it themselves, there's an inherent recognition of the power of that creative process. And the benefit yeah, I agree. Of, the, of the creative process for the individual. And uh, I think hopefully we'll, we'll, see, we'll see more of that, you know. And then, and then to do everything artfully, right? Maybe you're not making a piece of art, but you can go about your day artfully. You sure can. You can interact with people artfully. You can make your, you know, you can make things artfully, you know, with a certain conscious intent and a certain, uh, a certain aesthetic appreciation and, or, 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 uh, or just with the idea of beauty. You know, that can Keeping that in mind, the art should be beauty. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. exactly. It's a multi-spectrum yeah, I think so. prerequisite. Now, I mean, I, to be honest, I'm sure that there are people, some people, who will look at my art and say, that's ugly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't doubt that as a possibility. But uh, um, from my own perspective, uh, I strive to create things that have some level of beauty to them. Well... I'm excited to see how it turns out, and I wish you the best of luck for it. And I would say that uh, at some point in the future, we definitely want to showcase it somehow, either on the show or uh, through social media or what have you. And I'm definitely down to help you with that. So yeah, man, cool. Uh, yeah, because again, yeah, for me, it's only, for me it's only the beginning. This is like the jump off point. So absolutely, <laughs> you'll be see, you'll see some you'll see some of it. You'll be at the next event. Hey, I actually was going to ask you about that. We'll talk about that off air. That's that's pretty cool. All right, that's a suggestion. All right. Okay. Well, well, thank you for that, Corey. I think you did a wonderful job. Uh, we'll need to bring you in on different subjects and have you do more of this because it's nice to ha be able to sit on the other side of things and and have stuff provoked in your mind uh, based on what you were saying and taking us through the different phases of history really helped me look at art in a way that I hadn't before. So, again, I appreciate nice. that. And I would say that uh, next week it looks like we should have a new guest. I'm working out the final details. Um, but if that does occur, it will be about numerology. And I'll, I'll give that guest name out on social media when we're ready to go, and that's confirmed. And uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up this year. So you guys stay tuned. Corey, again, I appreciate it. And until next time, I'll say pierce the veil, and the truth will reveal itself. Peace. 